if you have um, if you've been here for any uh, any period of time uh, in the last uh, 16 years or 15 years we've been meeting you know that I have never used this pulpit for partisan politics in fact I've gone out of my way to avoid addressing at times certain political issues and, and um, things that were going on my, my, my attempt was to uh, to stay focused on Scripture. And so, after all that's been going on, with all this COVID panic, and now with, with, with what's going on culturally, it, it has dawned on me that I have not done a good job as, as a pastor, as your pastor, to help you integrate the Bible and real life. Um, I have a friend, his name is Bill Jack, with Worldview Academy, and he said something a long time ago, and I think it's, it's, it, it has become patently true, that many, many Christians love Jesus with all of their heart, but they think secularly. There are Christians who love Jesus with all of their heart, and yet hold to theistic evolution, for instance. There are Christians who say they love Jesus with all their heart, and yet um, not really that opposed to abortion. How can that be? I think inadvertently I've, I've, I've communicated to you that spiritual things are over here, the Bible in the church, but everything else is, is, a, is neutral at best. And I guess I've, I've inadvertently communicated that the Bible doesn't speak to politics. That the Bible doesn't address things like how we are supposed to respond to our government. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is, I, I, you know, I really think those days are over, for me, anyway. And as I, as I contemplated, you know, we've been going through the book of Mark. My, my intention on Sunday mornings was to try to make everything as normal as possible. To not, to not fall into, uh, the, I guess the other extreme would be that every sermon is, is based on, you know, whatever is happening in the, in, in the news. Um, I, I've, been, I've been trying to, for this place to be a... Uh, kind of a respite, a, a, a place where we can we can leave all that outside for a moment and, and just and just worship and and uh, and study God's word, and we will continue to do that. Um, but really, I've come to the place where um, well, we need to go back on this. Actually, can you go back for me, Jenna? That's that's jumping the gun. It should be at the end of the slide. It's all part of the slideshow. So what we're going to do is, you know, again, I thought we'd address how are we supposed to respond to all this stuff uh, from a biblical standpoint, not, not from, not necessarily from a political standpoint, although the two aren't always divorced. Listen, uh, when, when politics infringes on the church, we better start saying something. Okay. Um, and I'm afraid that what's happened and what is happening is we've been bullied and we've been intimidated to remain silent. And I will say this probably three or four times at least this morning. If we think as a church that we're going to be left alone with all that's going on, then we are really deceived. 
If you don't think that this movement in our culture is not aimed at the church, you're sadly mistaken. If you think this is just a cultural, political um, season, uh, I think that, that, that we are sad, we'd be sadly mistaken. There is, a, there is a serious war going on right now, and it's a war of worldviews. It, it really is an issue of worldview. Now, what is happening certainly was sparked uh, by an incident involving George Floyd in, in Minnesota. But make no mistake about it, this has been an intentional plan for the last several decades. This was just an opportune event to spark this movement. But make no mistake about it, this has been years of systematic planning and chipping away at our republic and our way of life. It has also declared war, as we'll see here this morning, they have declared war on the Judeo-Christian worldview and the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are intent and intentional on tearing down all all that the Bible teaches, certainly, any biblical order, and certainly to eradicate any kind of gospel truth. So to write this off or ignore this is to, is to open the doors to, as, uh, as someone once said, a brave new world. We have opened the doors as a church in, in our silence at best, in our complicity, complicity at worst, have now opened the doors to what is called cultural Marxism, communism, an atheistic takeover of our country, and an atheistic takeover of our church in America. So before we begin, there's some, there some concepts. You, the first thing you need to do is define your terms. So these are some key terms that you need to understand and know because these are dominant in our culture right now. The first one is what's called intersectionality. Intersectionality. What's intersectionality? We covered this in our men's Bible study. Intersectionality is is part of what's called identity politics. And that is saying that you are are merely the product of of a a system of identities. You're either male or female. You're white or black, brown, whatever. So you you have gender. You have... uh, 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 nationality, your ethnic race, your age, perhaps. Then, of course, uh, your your sexual identity, sexual preference, and what it is is all of these things are all are all targets for oppression and discrimination. And the more you have, the more you are being oppressed, the more discriminated against you are. So, if you're a, a, a an African American woman who is LBGQT plus 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 you are the most oppressed and disadvantaged uh, person in our country. So that's what we call intersectionality. The second one, and there's no particular order in these, is what's called cultural Marxism. Um, Cultural Marxism really reduces everything to discussions about race, class, gender, sex. And you can see... The intersection with classical Marxism, with intersectionality, their goal is to overthrow the traditional institutions of family, 
of society, of morality and ethics. See, Marxism first started out as an economic theory. Mar- Marx saw the oppression of, it was class warfare, class struggle. And, and it never really caught on. It hasn't really caught on in America until recently because, quite frankly, the working classes in our country have done quite well. <laughs> it made quite a nice living. And so Satan, in his, in his devious, said, well, we've got we to have another plan. And rather than focus on economics, we're going to focus on what they call race. So this is what we call cultural Marxism. is is, is, is not so much from an economic oppression, but from a, a racial oppression. What they call race. Included in this is the redistribution of wealth. Eradicate all private property. And we could talk about economics. The foundation of biblical economics is found in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. What does that teach us? There's private property. God values private property. Why are we opposed to kidnapping and slavery? It's stealing. That's theft. That's the worst kind of theft. That's the most heinous kind of theft. That's the theft and thievery of someone's life. It's interesting. Those Those who push for socialism and Marxism are opposed to slavery. When in fact, their very worldview... Is the only, it, it doesn't prohibit that. Getting ahead of myself. Cultural Marxism. Critical race theory. Have you heard of this? Critical race theory. These are, these are things you should be hearing. It's a view that, that, that all law and all of our culture is inherently racist. It's, it's this notion of systemic racism. That... Itself, that race itself is being used by white people to further their economic and their political interests. Number four is social justice. Now, now again, these are very broad, um, almost reductionistic definitions, but just to give you an idea of, you'll hear these terms if you haven't heard them already. Social justice, we see this used in the church. That's not what it sounds like. Yeah, who would be against... Who's, a, who's opposed to justice? But the devil's in the details. It's a belief in absolute equality of outcome. Not equality of opportunity. It's, it's equality of outcome. That any presence of any kind of inequality automatically means that there has been some kind of oppression and exploitation. Therefore, they are for income redistribution. Although our tax policy is pretty close to that. Then this notion of white privilege, this myth of white privilege. And part of social justice is not just calling on people to be more moral and more just in their dealings with one another. But in fact, this will take place by government coercion. And then finally, this notion of woke, being woke. What's woke? Uh, woke is a broad term for, for an awareness that if the person is woke, then they are very much aware 
of the, of the intense racial discrimination and other forms of oppression and injustice that are in our culture. And being woke means that you will be a, a verbal advocate for the oppressed, the so-called oppressed. Woke also carries with it an acknowledgement of white privilege. So there's an, you have to admit and you have to acknowledge that yes, there is a tremendous amount of white privilege in our country and that we need as white people to repent and make reparations for this systemic racism. So being woke is not just a, 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 an acknowledgement, an agreement that there is widespread racial discrimination and other forms of oppression, but that we're the, we are the cause of it and we need to repent, even to the point of bowing down This is what we face. And what we're going to deal with this morning is the one organization. In fact, I, I, I argue, and I think I've read it from others, I think very much a, a political party. It's called, and, and, and these are the bullies. These are the thugs that, that are silencing free speech that are silencing anybody who would oppose them. They're shutting down Twitter accounts. They're shutting down, their pressure is shutting down Facebook accounts. Let, let, let me tell you what I, what I predict in the future. They'll start putting pressure on publishers who publish anything that is, that is opposed to them and to their worldview. We'll lose our books. I have no doubt that in the near future, they'll even come after our internet providers. And this movement is called Black Lives Matter. It's not what you think. So what I thought I'd do, I, and, and there's no excuse for us as a church, and when I say church, I'm not talking about, just about crossroads, I'm talking about the church in America. And there's no excuse to not be informed on this. It took two clicks to find out. Go to Black Lives Matter and download their doctrinal statement. This is in essence what their, their doctrinal statement. So let's, let's find out what Black Lives Matter is all about. Four years ago, what is known as the Black Lives Matter Global Network began to organize. It started out as a chapter-based, member-led organization whose mission was to build local power and to intervene when violence was afflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. I'd be curious to know what they mean by that. In the years since, we've been we've committed to struggling together and to imagining and creating a world free of anti-blackness where every black person has the social, economic, and political power to thrive. And to that I say, Amen! But also to white, to yellow, to brown, to red, too. Black Lives Matter began as a call to action in response to state-sanctioned violence and anti-black racism. Our intention from the very beginning was to connect black people from all over the world who have shared a desire for justice to act together in their communities. The impetus for that commitment was and still is the rampant and deliberate violence inflicted on us by the state. Let let me say to them, the only real state-sanctioned violence that I see in our country uh, happens in Planned Parenthood. 
Enraged by the death of Trayvon Martin and subsequent with his killer, George Zimmerman, inspired by the 31-day takeover of the Florida State Capitol by Power U and the Dream Defenders, we took to the streets. A year later, we set out together on the Black Lives Matter Freedom Ride to Ferguson in search of justice for Mike Brown and all of those who have been torn apart by state-sanctioned violence and anti-black racism. Forever changed, we returned home and began building the infrastructure for the Black Lives Matter Global Network, which even in its infancy, has become a political home for many. Going on, the movement, through movement and relationship building, we have also helped catalyze other movements. Listen to this. And shifted culture with an eye toward the dangerous impacts of anti-blackness. Let me move down to the good stuff. Every day we recommit to healing ourselves and each other and co-creating alongside comrades. Hmm. Where have you heard that term? When was the last time you said, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee with my comrades? Who uses those terms? You can say it. Communists. Black Lives Matter was started by three African American women who were self, they are self-avowed Marxists. We are unapologetically black in our positioning. Imagine if, I, imagine if I said that. Imagine if I said, I am unapologetically white in my positioning. In affirming that black lives matter, we need not qualify our position to love and desire freedom and justice for ourselves is a prerequisite for wanting the same for others. We are guided by the fact that all black lives matter regardless of actual or perceived sexual identity, gender identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs, except for ours, immigration status, or location. We are self-reflexive and do the work, listen to this, to do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege. What's a cisgender person? Does anybody know? Mitch? You are a cisgender person who actually believes and identifies how they were born. So if you are a, if you are a man and you identify yourself as a man, you're cisgender. They want to dismantle that and uplift black. Trans folk. Trans folk being transgender. This is a vital plank in Black Lives Matter. It has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with transgender. We build a space that affirms... Oh, I forgot. Black trans... We, we want especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. We build a space that affirms black women that is free from sexism, misogyny, and environments in which men are centered. We practice empathy. We engage comrades with the intent to learn about and connect with their context. We make our spaces family-friendly and enable parents to fully participate their children. Now listen to this. We dismantle the patriarchal practice 
that requires mothers to work double shifts so they can mother in private even as they participate in public justice work. What do you think they're referring to when they say patria, dismantle patriarchal practice? The family. The family is defined by the Bible. Their goal is to dismantle the family. Goes on. We disrupt Western prescribed nuclear family structure, even more specifically. We, dis- we disrupt and want to dismantle Western prescribed nuclear family structure, i.e., what the Bible teaches. We want to dismantle that by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers and parents and children are comfortable. We foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking. The belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless he, he, or they disclose otherwise. We embody and practice justice, liberation, and peace in our engagements with them. Uh, Jenna, I don't know. Oh, here we go. Anybody know what that is? Yes, Black Panthers used it. Pull this off. If you do a, a Google search on uh, symbols for communism, this is this is one of the primary sim- symbols for communism. See any similarities? Let me make it. Let, let me make it easier. This is a Marxist communist group whose intent is to dismantle all that we know as and have been taught in Western civilization. Black Lives Matter leader states, if the U.S. doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down this system. When's the last time you heard a Christian say that? He was also on there saying that they're training uh, train militia um, on it. Training militia. Where, do, where, where is all the cries about gun control? Guys, we need to stop being so naive. Um, This is a Marxist, a radical Marxist group. Again, Marxism was originally an economic theory. It never quite took hold in America, as I said. And here's what communism promises. Here's what you're going to hear. Communism promises equality. Right? Social justice. Equality of outcome. But what does, historically, what has communism delivered? Misery. And I hear people say, oh, our, you know, Trump is corrupt and our government is corrupt. We need to... You, we haven't seen corruption until we get a communist. And we learn nothing from history. Communism promises prosperity. What does it deliver? 
poverty, food lines. Communism promises freedom. But it only delivers oppression, tyranny, imprisonment, and murder. How many hundreds of millions of people have been murdered by communist regimes? Oh, but we're going to do it right. We in America, we're going to do it differently. Again, in America, they needed a different strategy, though, than economics. And they found it. It's what I would call racial communism, or ethnic communism, or cultural communism. They have substituted race, what they call race, for class. And they are exploiting and they are promoting as much racial hatred and instability as they possibly can. And unlike class oppression or class struggles, with with this... Up with, with this struggle for upward mobility, race can be used as a... Really, it's brilliant. It can be used as a permanent form of manipulation and bullying and control. This organization has been successful at convincing most Americans that they're really about protecting uh, African Americans who are being oppressed by the system. That they are... They're advocates for racial injustice against state-sanctioned violence. We hear all white people must apologize. We hear it in the church. And this is spreading across the church. The evangelical church in America. And they say we need to repent of our, our past sins of racism. We must apologize. And in the church we say we must repent. All white people must bow. All white people must pay. Capitalism must be destroyed. Reparations need to be made. It'll never be enough. This movement is not about racial injustice. It's about a Marxist takeover of our entire culture. So what does this have to do with the church? As I said before, do we really... Our government is leftist? Our seminaries are now leftists. Our seminaries, all of the Southern Baptist seminaries, almost nearly every single seminary now is fully woke. And what is, do you remember what woke means? Woke means an acknowledgement that we have been racially uh, oppressive and that we need to repent and, uh, and make reparations. And we're the ones to blame. If we, we really think... They're going to stop at our doors from dismantling what they see as probably the one thing that's prohibiting their takeover? What's our biblical response? That's what I want to focus on now. First of all, this notion of race is an unbiblical category. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Race, as they use it, is a socially constructed concept that is unbiblical in it, on its very foundation. Acts chapter 17. Remember Paul was preaching at the, in, the, in the Areopagus? We'll begin in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive... 
17.22, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, I found also on the altar, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man, here it is, he made from one man. Now, my, the ESV supplies the word man, but it's really, that, that's not in the original text. Uh, the, the Textus Receptus adds, some of our manuscripts add from one blood. It, it's anos, it, it means just one. And so you, you have to supply, for English, you have to kind of supply one man from one. Every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. There, there is only, according to the Bible, there is only one race. What race is that? The human race. That's it. Biblically, if you want to think through a biblical worldview, you will not refer to races. There's only one race. We've got to stop letting them define words for us. Biblically, there is one race. There is the human race. And within the human race, we have many ethnoses, ethnic groups. Do you know the difference between me and David or me and Ricky? The degree of melanoma. They just got more than I got. There's no di- we're not different race. We're different nationalities. We're from different ethnic groups. But guys, we, this, this, is a, this may seem like a, a, a small distinction, but this is vital. Race, different race says, is a, is a socially constructed concept. It is not part of a biblical worldview. And in fact, is the very source of their desire and their goal to create division, hatred, animosity, and enmity between people. That's our starting point. This notion of race is a socially constructed concept that is not part of a biblical worldview. Turn to Romans chapter 3. What is it that unifies this human race? Romans 3.23. Everybody should know that. What's Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory. Well, what's the all there? Well, if you were to trace the argument from, in chapter, from beginning in chapter 2 through chapter 3, he's talking about two, different, two distinct groups. He's talk, he talked about Jews. They are culpable before God. And Gentiles. So the all there... In strict in, in, uh, uh, exegesis, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. What is it that unifies the human race? Sin. Biblically, through a biblical worldview, how do we view people? Sinners. We have black sinners. We have white sinners. We have Hispanic sinners. I didn't mean to point over here. Uh, 
Over here. All have sinned. Listen, what unites, first of all, the first thing that unites us is that we are all, the Bible says, we are all born sinners. It doesn't say some were born African American, some were born white, some were born black. It says we are all born, in fact, conceived sinners. We always quote verse 23, but look now back at verse 22. Actually, 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. There is no distinction. Red, yellow, black, and white. We are all sinners in His sight. Turn to chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. What is the source of our unity? If any of those sinners would call upon the name of the Lord, they would be saved. Not just the white ones, not just the black ones, not just the brown ones or the yellow ones. There is no distinction. All who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no distinction between races. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. The, the classic passage on our reconciliation with God. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> We're all, we're all very familiar with verses 1 through 10, you know. Remember, you're dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of the world. The Spirit does not work in the sons of disobedience. Uh, we were by nature children of wrath, as like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, by grace you have been saved. He's raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not as your own doing, is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Our reconciliation is found in, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But then in verse 11, he talks about a different kind of reconciliation. Therefore, Remember that at that time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, now that, it, it, that's typical Pauline, very uh, awkward phrasing. In other words, he's saying this. You who were Gentiles, you were called uncircumcision by those who called themselves the circumcision. So, Jews would call the Gentiles the uncircumcised. Uncircumcised. And he says to them, 
Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, who's those who were far off? The Gentiles have been brought near by their sincere repentance over how they treated the Jews. No. By the blood of Christ. What is it that brought the Jews and the Gentiles together in the first century church? The blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two. Thus making peace. You see, we've been infected far too much with secular thinking. What is it that's going to bring true unity? Not a political solution. Not a cultural solution. There's only one thing that can bring unity between nationalities and between ethnic groups and to bring reconciliation. Reconciliation is not a race issue, it's a heart issue. It's Jesus Christ and the Gospel. In fact, in Galatians, turn back to Galatians. I just thought of this in Galatians. This is, this is classic. And, and we, need, we need some champions. We need some of these celebrity pastors to start standing up and being champions. It's easy for them to talk big and bad when the government isn't imposing on them. We need someone to stand up and be champions for the gospel and for truth. One prominent pastor said this. He said, I'll fight error, but I won't fight my friends. Well, look at Galatians chapter, was it chapter 2? Verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came back, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Fascinating to me that one apostle publicly called out another apostle. Why? Because he would no longer receive communion with Gentiles. He was removing himself from the table. They were removing themselves from the table. And Paul understood that if he allowed that to happen, there would be two churches. The church that we now know exists today, the church of Jesus Christ, not of Latter-day Saints, but the church of Jesus Christ would have been split at its very beginning. We would have had a Gentile church. We would have had a Jewish church. Paul could care less if Peter was an apostle. He said this, The rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, said even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with truth of the gospel, it was not from a biblical worldview, they were not acting consistent with the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, and he goes on to say, we need some champions. We need some men in the pulpit who are willing to lose their churches to stop being bullied by our culture and start speaking the truth. 
There is a document called the Dallas Statement. This was uh, formulated by a pastor in Florida named Tom Askell and has been subsequently signed by, I don't know, tens of thousands of, of Christians and pastors. And I thought that in closing we'd go through this. Um, I had a lot of other stuff I was going to say. The Imago Dei. What's Imago Dei? Image of God. This is what we affirm. We affirm that God created every person equally in His own image. As divine image bearers, all people have inestimable value and dignity before God and deserve honor, respect, and protection. All people. Everyone has been created by God and for God. We deny that God-given roles, socioeconomic status, ethnicity, religion, sex, or physical condition, or any other property of a person either negates or contributes to that individual's worth as an image bearer of God. Race and ethnicity. We affirm God made all people from one man. Though people often can be distinguished by different ethnicities and nationalities, they are ontological equals before God in both creation and redemption. Race is not a biblical category, but rather a social construct that often has been used to classify groups of people in terms of inferiority or superiority. All that is good, honest, just, and beautiful in various ethnic backgrounds and experiences can, and I would say should, be celebrated as the fruit of God's grace. All sinful actions and their results, including evils perpetrated between and upon ethnic groups by others, are to be confessed as sinful, repented of, and repudiated. Let me make myself very, very clear. I absolutely loathe true racism. It is an offense to God. And any Christian who is a racist ought to repent of that sin. We do not condone true racism. We deny that Christians should segregate themselves into racial groups or regard racial identity above or even equal to their identity in Christ. We deny that any divisions between people groups from an unstated attitude of superiority to an overt spirit of resentment have any legitimate place in the fellowship of the redeemed. We reject any teaching that encourages racial groups to view themselves as privileged oppressors or entitled victims of oppression. While we are to weep with those who weep, we deny that a person's feelings of offense or oppression necessarily prove that someone else is guilty of sinful behaviors, oppression, or prejudice. Racism. We affirm that racism is a sin rooted in pride and malice which must be condemned and renounced by all who would honor the image of God in all people. Such racial sin can subtly or overtly manifest itself as racial animosity or racial vainglory. Such sinful prejudice or partiality falls short of God's revealed will and violates the royal law of love. We affirm that virtually all cultures, including our own, at times contain laws and systems that do foster racist attitudes and policies. We deny that treating people with sinful partiality or prejudice is consistent with biblical Christianity. Now, I would say when biblical Christians, when and if they do that, they do so inconsistent with what the scriptures teach. We deny that only those in positions of power are capable of racism, or that individuals of any particular ethnic groups are incapable of racism. 
We deny that systemic racism is in any way compatible with the core principles of historic evangelical convictions. We deny that the Bible can be legitimately used to foster or justify partiality, prejudice, or contempt toward other ethnicities. We deny that the contemporary evangelical movement has any deliberate agenda to elevate one ethnic group and to subjugate another. And we emphatically deny that lectures on social issues on activism aimed at reshaping the wider culture are as vital to the life and health of the church as the preaching of the gospel and the exposition of scripture. Historically, such things tend to become distractions that inevitably lead to departures from the gospel. Justice. We affirm that since He is holy, righteous, and just, God requires those who bear His image to live justly in the world. This includes includes showing appropriate respect to every person in giving to each one what he or she is due. We affirm that societies must establish laws to correct injustices that have been imposed through cultural prejudice. But we deny that true justice can be culturally defined or that standards of justice that are merely socially constructed can be imposed with the same authority as those that are derived from Scripture. In other words, we as Christians have to start thinking biblically. We further deny that Christians can live justly in the world under any principles other than the biblical standard of righteousness. Relativism, socially constructed standards of truth or morality, and notions of virtue and vice that are constantly in flux cannot result in authentic justice. The Gospel. We affirm that the gospel is the divinely revealed message concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ, especially his virgin birth, righteous life, substitutionary sacrifice, atoning death, and bodily resurrection, revealing who he is and what he has done with the promise that he will save anyone and everyone who turns from sin by trusting in him as Lord. We deny that anything else whether works to be performed or opinions to be held, can be added to the gospel without perverting it into another gospel. This also means that implications and applications of the gospel, such as the obligation to live justly in the world through legitimate and important in their own right, though legitimate and important in their own right, are not definitional components of the gospel. Sexuality and marriage. We affirm that God created mankind, male and female, and that this divinely determined distinction is good, proper, and to be celebrated. Maleness and femaleness are biologically determined at conception and are not subject to change. The curse of sin results in sinful, disordered affections that manifest in some people as same-sex attraction. Salvation grants sanctifying power to renounce such dishonorable affections as sinful and to mortify them by the Spirit. We further affirm that God's design for marriage is that one woman and one man live in a one flesh, covenantal, sexual relationship until separated, or only separated, by death. Those who lack the desire or opportunity for marriage are called to serve God in singleness and chastity. This is, a noble, this is as noble a calling as marriage is. We deny... That human sexuality is a, we deny that human sexuality is a socially constructed concept. We also deny that one's sex can be fluid. We reject gay Christian as a legitimate biblical category. 
We further deny that any kind of partnership or union can properly be called marriage other than one man and one woman in a lifelong covenant together. We further deny that people should be identified as sexual minorities, which serves as a cultural classification, rather than one that honors the image-bearing character of a human the image-bearing character of human sexuality is created by God. Finally, the church. We affirm that the primary role of the church is to worship God through the preaching of His Word. Teaching sound doctrine, observing baptism and the Lord's Supper, refuting those who contradict, equipping the saints and evangelizing the lost. We affirm that when the primacy of the gospel is maintained, that this often has a positive effect on the culture in which various societal ills are mollified. We affirm that under the Lordship of Christ, we are to obey the governing authorities established by God and to pray for our civil leaders. We deny that political or social activism should be viewed as integral components of the gospel or primary to the mission of the church. Though believers can and should utilize all lawful means that God has providentially established to have some effect on the laws of our society, i.e. voting, we deny that these activities are, uh, are either evidence of saving faith or constitute a central part of the church's mission given to her by Jesus Christ, her head. We deny that laws or regulations possess any inherent power to change sinful hearts. Anything short of that, and we are done as a culture. We're finished. And to a large extent, we let it happen. Where do we, what are we to do? Um, I wrote down three things. I guess more from what, are, what we will not do. We will not address as a church, as long as I'm here, you can fire me if you want. We will not address as a church this false form of racism by doing three things. By aligning ourselves with social justice, any social justice group that has anti-Christian beliefs and agendas. It was a week ago, two weeks ago, tens of thousands lined the streets of Austin, Texas with communist signs. You know who's out there? Christians. Lining the streets with a communist sign. We will not align ourselves with social progressive groups that have anti-Christian beliefs and agendas. We will instead stand for and speak for the truth of the gospel. We will not address this false form of racism by marching or protesting against so-called racial injustice. Our modus operandi will be to uphold the worth and dignity of every person as image bearers of God. Number three, maybe most importantly, we will not address this false form of racial, uh, racial reconciliation by virtue signaling or trying to prove that we're not racist by supporting, endorsing, or giving any credence to a wicked, ungodly movement called Black Lives Matter. 
Let me say that again. We will not virtue signal or try to prove we're not racist by supporting, endorsing, or giving any credence whatsoever. Let me say what it is. It is a wicked, ungodly movement. And any professed Christian who aligns themselves with them ought to take a deep, hard look at whether they really know Jesus Christ or not. Did I appear angry today? In a way, I am, I guess. One of the things that, one of the things I, I told myself after this... Well, it's still going on. Now, now they're saying... You know, get ready to, to go back to your homes. Um, I told myself things are going to be different from this pulpit. And uh, there was a day and age I wouldn't have done this today. Because I, I wouldn't want to offend or turn anybody off. Uh, can I say this? Uh, can I? And this is. Okay, I'm going to step aside. This is just personal. We no longer have a liberal party in America. We have leftists. We need to start calling it for what it is. We are in the midst of real danger. We always think that, that, that to change America, you need 51%. I was reading somewhere, said, and they went through all the statistics and everything. They said, no, all you need is about 11 Right now, you need an 11% shift. You say, well, that's just politics. It doesn't affect the church. <clears throat> tell, me, tell me one church, tell me one Christian living in a communist country that says, oh, we love communism. If we think that we're going to be able to pull this thing off with compassionate communism. Communism in its, in its very, the very foundations is antithetical to a biblical worldview, to the Bible and to Jesus Christ. It is hostile. Look at that sign back there. Please pray. Christians still die. Do, do you think, and we talk about Muslims, do you, how many Christians have died at the hands of communist regimes? Right now. Today. Do I need to name some of them? China? Guys, we need, to, we, need, we need to continue to love Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But the key there is mind. We, we, we can love Jesus with all our heart, but if, if we think secularly, we're doomed. We're done. We have to start viewing these things. We have to start thinking. We have to stop, stop with mindless compliance. And, and we need to start thinking biblically for ourselves and say, what does the Bible say? What is a biblical worldview? How does a biblical worldview lead and guide me? It's going to be real interesting to see what happens in November. But I can tell you this, and I'm going to say it, if that other group gets elected, see, we, we, think, we think socialism and Marxism, we're, we're all equal, we all get the same amount of food, the same amount of medicine, we get a... Ask the average Venezuelan, 
They think about communism. Guys, this is serious. And I know some people say, well, we've always had, you know, every year election, every... But guys, I think unless you're really out of it, this is different. This is a watershed moment. And um, we need to make sure that we don't, we're not deceived and uh, that we think biblically. Well, that's kind of a weird con- conclusion, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, um, so often we have neglected the, the, the public square and um, supp- I suppose to a large extent, at least for Crossroads, I'm responsible for that. But no more. Lord, we want we, we, we acknowledge that your word addresses and speaks to everything in our lives. It's not always easy to discern what that is. But Lord, I pray that, that, that we would put on our lens and our glasses of biblical truth. That we would view our world through your word. And Father, um, that we would be courageous as we stand for truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We recognize the only way true unity can happen between people is through the gospel, through the blood of Jesus Christ. May we be your ambassadors of light in this dark world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Just look at this slide. My daughter sent this to me. My grandfather. This hit me. So I took a look at as I look at my two little granddaughters. Um, I'm not praying for a rapture. I'm praying for Christians to stand up. At some point you'll have to stop running and take a stand. Either you your children or your grandchildren. Better you than them. I don't want my granddaughters to have to do this for me. I'm doing it for them. Will you?